0: ago, I talked about the name Jehovah and what that means, Lord God Almighty, the sustainer, the one that sustains us and keeps us. I want to go on with that a little bit, so I want to talk about uh, a compound of that name. In Genesis 22, uh, 14, Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. Everybody know what Jehovah-Jireh is? Provider. My provider. Absolutely, there's a couple songs that that mention that. And uh, that was all a trick. You're actually supposed to go to Philippians chapter 4. I just did that to you because it's Bible quiz day. (laughs) Abraham said, he called this place Jehovah-Jireh, my provider, God is my provider. All around us today, The nation is battling about who's responsible to take care of me. Am I supposed to take care of myself? Is the government supposed to take care of me? How do I get sustained? Who's going to take care of my food and my health care and my whatever and on down the line? And they argue and fight about it. But as a child of God, we realize that the government can't take care of us. We also realize that we can't take care of ourselves. We don't have the means to do that. Every day that you have the strength to go to work is because God gives you strength. Every time that God opens a door to provide you means when you had no means, that's that's because He's provider. He is the Lord God provider. He is our provision. Go to Philippians chapter 4. And I usually read, uh, you know, I like to use the Amplified quite often. I don't usually use that for the opening text. But I'm going to today because I like the way it brings this out. And I want you to, I'm going to read it slow. I'm going to try to read it slow. Because I want you to gather what is is being said here. What Paul is actually trying to uh, relate to us here. Philippians chapter 4. Everybody there? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, and it said, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, now that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned about me before, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I speak from any personal need, for I have learned to be content, self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy. That's how the Amplified says that. I like that. I'm going to read that again. For I have learned to be content, which is the self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. I can do all things which He has called me to do through Him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill His pers- uh, purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through Him "...who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace." Now, you know the Amplified. It always likes to throw those things in there. But this is a, uh, the way that the Amplified um, brings life to that particular verse, what it's telling us there. I want to read that again. I can do all things, verse 13. "...I can do all things which He has called me to do through Him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill His purpose." I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything equal to anything through Him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Verse 14, nevertheless, it was right of you to share with me in my difficulties. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of my preaching the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you gave me a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek a gift of itself, but I do seek the profit which increases to your heavenly account the blessing which is accumulating for you. But I have received everything in full and more, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent me. They are... The fragrant aroma of an offering, an acceptable sacrifice which God welcomes and in which He delights. And my God will liberally supply, fulfill, and tell full your every need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I ask that you will help us to exegete draw out of this passage something that will feed us and lead us and guide us and direct us so that it changes our lives for the better. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I read all that because I want you to get the meaning of what that passage is trying to tell us. And you know, I've mentioned before, uh, all over the place. You'll see it at soccer games, at Winterfest, uh, throughout serv- church services, at job interviews, and on down the line, they will quote, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's become a mantra for going out and conquering the world. We, anything we need to do, we just quote that verse and by golly, we can do it. And that is absolutely not what Paul is trying to tell us in this passage. Uh, he is not talking about winning a football game. He is talking about knowing that God is there no matter what situation you are in. And when He has called you to do something, you can fulfill what He has called you to do no matter what it looks like. That sufficiency. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Now we think, and, and a lot of this is because of really bad preaching... We think that when God is provider, that means that He is going about to make our life easier. We should not have problems or troubles. We should never go hungry. We should never, uh, we should never have a bill that doesn't get paid. We should never have any of that because God is my provider. We like that. That feels comfortable to me. I like that. I can sit in ease and relax because God is going to take care of everything. Did God take care of all those things for the Apostle Paul? (laughs) Did he he make Paul's life easy? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, They are ministers of Christ. I speak as a fool. Paul talking here. He said, I am more. In labor is more abundant. In stripes above measure. Wait a minute. God is my provider. Isn't he supposed to provide a way out of those beatings? Isn't isn't that that his provision for me? He said, uh, of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. At night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. Not only do I get beat all the time, I also have to worry about the churches. <laughs> now we, we think about how does the same man write those two totally differing passages? Because in one of them he's talking about how God just takes care of everything. He's the one I rely on and I rest in and I can do anything and I am powerful and and strong in God and nothing that the devil throws at me is going to succeed because I am God. I can do all things through him. I've got this thing together. And the next one he said, I've been beaten with whips five times. I've been beaten with rod three times. I've been shipwrecked three times. The one thing he doesn't name in there is a snake. I told you before, the snake is the worst one to me. The snake Biting him when he thrown wood on the fire would have been worse than the shipwreck and the beatings and the prison and all the rest. The snake and I, one of us would have definitely died and I don't know if I'd have had the mind about me to throw him in the fire, but we would have been fighting it out on the shore. It would have been going on. I don't like the snakes. Paul had it, go, had it rough. He had a difficult, hard time. And you have to wonder, did he ever say, Hold on, God, we need to talk. You called me to this. I had things pretty good before. I had things pretty good. I didn't have all these problems. And then then you, you came and you appeared to me and you told me I got the stuff to do. And so I've done everything you've told me to do. And I get beat every other day for it. I don't understand. I thought all the doors are supposed to open when God calls you and you do what he says to do. Doesn't all the doors just open and everything go easy at that point? As soon as, as soon as you say yes, by golly, everything lines up and you just march on through. Show me any of the prophets in the Bible that that happened for. It doesn't work that way. But God says those doors are going to slam in your face, but I'll help you kick them down. And you're going to have enemies, you're going to have people of your own people of of the saints, the, the people of God are going to betray you. But I am going to be there with you when all the brothers and sisters betray you, I will be there with you. And when you are getting beat, don't worry about it. I'm going to be there with you. I will be that sustainer. That that one that that will complete it and make it work. The you know, the provider. Now Abraham way back in the story and We see in Genesis chapter 22, and you can follow along with that if you want to. Basically, God comes on to Abraham, and he he calls him. And Abraham says, here I am. I'm I'm here. Uh, Most Christians spend their time going, God, where are you? But Abraham was called by God. God called him out, and he said, here I am. I'm, I'm here. Let's go over there. Let's go real quick. Genesis chapter 22. I want to look at it. Genesis chapter 22. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son. Now you know the story. Abraham was old, Sarah was old, God came and he said, I'm going to give you a child. Sarah laughed, you know you know the whole situation. Abraham was like, yeah, you must be talking about somebody else. You, do you realize how old I am? I am really, really ancient and I'm not really planning on having kids. God said, you're going to have a kid. And he's going to be the son of promise. And now, just a few chapters later... God is calling Abraham, and Abraham says, Yeah, God, I'm used to you now, man. This is great. You gave me a son. You have fulfilled my promise. This is amazing. I love it. And he said, Now I want to take that son that you love so much. See, here's the problem. We have a real tendency as human beings to put things before God. We do that. It may be a job, it may be a child, it may be a spouse, it could be a television show. You can go down the list a million things that we'll put before God. You know what God's going to do at some point in your life? He's going to take that away from you. He's going to say, I need you to lay that thing down because I need to know that I am number one in your life and that thing is standing between you and me and that thing has to be out of the way. God called Abraham. I bet he had no idea what was coming. And God said, I want you to take Isaac. I want you to take your son, and whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah. Which means God, chosen by God. God's picking a place. When he puts you through the worst trial of your life, he's going to pick the place of that trial. He's going to pick the place where you have to... The rubber meets the road. Whether you serve God or serve something else is actually differentiated. We find out where your heart really is. Because most Christians don't even know where their heart is. They don't really know. You Remember where the Bible tells us, examine me, O Lord, and see if there be a right spirit in me. Examine me. Well, you start praying, God, examine me, you might be really, really surprised at what you find. When God starts doing that, examining, it may be a little bit shocking to you. And then he says, to get into the land of Moriah and offer him, there for a burnt offering upon the mountains, which I will tell thee of. I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes right then. Abraham was used to being called away. You know, he, he was called uh, right out of the into the land of the Chaldeans. He, he, you know, he, he, he was used to that. God had called him before and moved him before. So I don't think it was going to be a big shock to him. All of a sudden, God comes and he says, Abraham, and he says, here I am. And he said, I want you to take your son Isaac. I want you to take him to the land of Moriah. I'm going to choose and lead you to that place. And then I want you to sacrifice him on, al- on an altar. Could you imagine? He had to feel like some... Buddy had just pounded him right in the stomach. Are you kidding me, my son? Are you are you serious, Isaac? You want what? Are what, Isaac? Are you crazy? And then it says that Abraham rose up early. He's like, and and I try to person, I try to personalize Abraham. You know, preachers when they preach on this, I think they try to put a red cape and red s on, on, on Abraham and he's super superman of God he doesn't handle things like the rest of us do you know he knew God was going to provide a lamb he went in there with faith and all that I'm sorry I don't buy it that way they may be right I think Abraham was a human and he felt like his guts just got stomped out of him and he had no idea how he was going to handle this and he had no idea what was going to go on and then he gathered everything up out of obedience i think he was i think he was working like a robot that day putting things together to do what he knew he was supposed to do and he had questions blowing his mind up and he headed out across the land for 3 days can you be any crueler god 3 days wandering toward a mountain that he doesn't even know which one it is. He's just wandering. And for three days, all that is going on in his mind is the fact that when he gets there, he's got to kill his child. The one that God promised him. I couldn't even imagine. No, I don't think he had the big red S and he was like, yeah, wait till you see what God's going to do when we get there. (laughs) It's going to be great. I think he was a broken, terrified man who's he probably barfed about 20 times on the way on that three three day journey I, I think he was so broken he didn't know what to do but he was operating out of a out of a mechanical obedience to God at that time all right God I'm going and then it says and uh, let's see in verse four it says in the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes now if I was looking for a mountain and God said I'll show you the mountain that you're going to going to sacrifice Isaac on, I don't think I would have looked up. I would not have wanted to look at, i just follow, look at the ground, just look at the ground. I don't want him to show me any mountain. Forget that. I think he, <laughs> I can't believe he looked up. So Abraham looked up and God said, that's the place. That's where I want you to go. Can you imagine the, the turmoil, the, the anguish, the horror that we're going In his life at that point. See, Abraham, he was making preparation. He was was trying to do what he was supposed to do. But God knew that what Abraham was going to is he was about to learn the true nature of God. He was about to learn more about this God that he served than he had ever known before. You don't get that by watching some fancy, fun preacher on TV on Sunday mornings. You get that when God puts you in a place like Moriah, when He ripped your very guts out of you and rebuilds you in what He needs you to be. When He takes everything and He destroys you and then rebuilds you, that's where you learn the true nature of God. And he chose to be obedient to God over his desire for self. He was preparing himself. To be in that place. He was was about to learn in himself what place God had in his heart. I think if you had asked Abraham, before this all happened, how important is God to you? He would have said, oh, God's number one to me, absolutely. If you ask any Christian today... What place is God? Oh, God, He's it. He's, he's everything. He is the top of the line to me. God's more important than anything else. It's so easy to say it, but it's another thing to truly have that in your heart. Abraham was about to find out where he is. Basically, Abraham was preparing to kill his son, this son that God had given to him. Can you imagine what he was thinking as he's wandering three days in the wilderness? Did I hear God correctly? Was that really God that spoke to me? Is that voice the right one? But God, come on, God, Isaac is the, the, the child you gave me. You're the one who gave him to me. He was a son of promise. You're supposed to do all these things through Isaac. You promised these things. I don't even understand. God, you gave him especially to us for a specific purpose. I don't understand why you're wanting to take him away from us now. I think reality slammed home when he looked up and saw that mountain, and the Spirit of the Lord said, right there, that's the mountain. That's where you're going to sacrifice your child. I think reality hit home so hard, and you know what happened. He loaded the wood on Isaac, and he took the knife, and he took the fire in his hand. He held that torch, and he had the knife. Isaac had the wood, and he told all of his servants, stay here, and the two of them started up that mountain. Could you imagine? It's bad enough climbing up a mountain. When you get our age, it's really hard climbing up a mountain. But now he's climbing up a mountain knowing that when he gets to the top of that mountain, he's got to kill his child. And Isaac... Looking around, he's not, you know, this isn't new to him. They've sacrificed before. He knows how it works. You, you know, you take the wood, you take the, the fire, you, you, you take the knife, and you also take the lamb. And Isaac's like, something's missing here. This is making me uncomfortable. And he said, Dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. Now, this is where we super spiritualize him. And I'm sorry, maybe they're right. I don't think... Abraham was, was leaping on some major step of faith and saying God is going to provide a lamb up there. I think, this is me, I think in Abraham's mind he was looking at the lamb when he answered and he said God will provide a lamb. And he, I believe that he honestly thought that Isaac was going to be the lamb. I may be totally wrong. I just have a tendency to think that biblical people were just as human as they are today. I think they're just as normal, just as human, and we like to make them into some kind of super spiritual faith men of God that just moved the world. They did move the world. They moved by failing a lot. (laughs) They moved the world by messing up a lot and not doing what they were supposed to do a lot. And still God somehow brought it together and, and they changed the world. They changed the world in spite of themselves, not because they were so super spiritual and powerful. And so, I believe he thought that Isaac was that lamb. So he prepared the altar, and he bound his son. I don't know what that had to have been like. I don't know if Isaac just laid there and said, Dad, what are you doing? This is a little weird. Or I don't know if he physically resisted. I have no idea what happened. But I know that... Abraham bound Isaac and placed him on that altar and Abraham picked up a knife and he held that above that son of promise and he was ready to thrust that knife into that child and then a voice said, Abraham, Abraham. Now you know, Hebrew, when you repeat, that means right now, listen to me. It's like when you tell your kid... Junior, junior, you know, you say it a couple of times. First time they ignore you, second time. The kid knows exactly which time their name is named when the spanking comes next. They know. Dad may say their name four times. Mom may say it seven times. They know in their mind, if they say my name one more time, I'm going to get a spanking. They know that. (laughs) Abraham is ready to do this, and God calls and says, stop. Don't do it. The very moment, see, Abraham had to come to the point in his heart where God was more important than Isaac. And I, why did God take him to that point? He could have. He said, "Yeah, you went. You know, you gathered everything up. I know you are serious." Or you, you know, you wandered three year, or three days, three years, three days into the into the wilderness to do this. I know you were serious. He could have stopped him at any point. I don't believe that it was for God's benefit that God waited until that last moment to, to stop him. I believe it was for Abraham's benefit. Abraham had to know, yeah, God really is more important to me than anything else, because God took him right to that point, right to that very moment. And can you imagine, now we have some Pentecostals in here, when God stopped Abraham and said, don't kill Isaac. Could you almost see a Pentecostal dance going on right there? <laughs> I bet that fella got happy. And he looks over and he sees that, that ram in the in, in the bush and he goes over there and he says, there it is. And he was probably shocked beyond all measure. I can't believe it. This is incredible. This is amazing. And he calls the place Jehovah Jireh. My provider. God provided at the very last instant. Has God ever provided for you at the very last instant? Yes. Oh boy. The times when you said it's too late, there's nothing more, there's no more answer, I'm stuck, I'm everything is going to pieces and God says, ah, you goofy kid, here, I'll take care of you. <laughs> and you thought it was all wrapped up. You thought it was over. See, true faith, is not rising above these trials. True faith is coming through those trials, trusting in God. See, we like to believe that true faith, if you have enough faith, you don't go th- through those problems. That's not what faith is. Faith is simply allowing God to be God in the midst of your trials. We, again, some of that bad preaching has told us if you have faith, you'll never get sick. If you have faith, you'll never never go through marital problems. If you have faith, you'll never lose your job. If you have faith, you'll always have money in the bank account. If you have faith, you'll have everything you want. And we've all heard that kind of preaching. It's heresy. Faith is what carries you through when you do lose your job. Faith is what carries you through when you go to the doctor because you're your, your body is, is numb and the doctor says you have a brain tumor and we need to get you into surgery. Faith is what gets you through when you go to the doctor and you find out you have cancer and you can go down the list. Faith doesn't make those things not happen. Faith takes you through those things all the way from beginning to end. Faith is what gives you the ability to trust God, rejoice in God, love God, even when everything like that is happening. That's what faith is. Faith is when we see no answer. And I honestly believe Abraham saw no answer when he was going up there. Again, I may be all wrong. That's all right, because the Bible doesn't say which way it is. I personally think he was very human, and he saw no answer. He went up there thinking and believing he was going to kill his son. And faith is what carried him up that mountain, and put that knife in his hand, and had him about to do what he was supposed to do. Faith is what gets you through when the situation looks hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Faith is what gets you through when it seems meaningless what you're going through. God, there's no reason for me to go through this. Why am I in the midst of this? There's no reason for what I'm dealing with right now, God. But I choose to have faith in the one... The Almighty King. The one that's gotten me through so many times before. He, he has never changed. He has never changed. So, you go back to the Apostle Paul. And he says, God will give me, He will provide, he will, he will be there for me, He will be my strength, everything, no matter what I'm going through. He is the one that takes care of me, no matter what is happening. And then they tie him to a post. And they take a whip and they beat him 39 times. Five different times. Oh my gosh. Three different times they take those rods that were about five foot long and they swing them like a baseball bat against his back. Three different times. Three different times the ship goes down. I would quit going by ship. I would walk. They're, they're, they didn't even have that big oceans there. I would walk around the Sea of Galilee or whatever. Whatever. Three different times. Three different, or, or many different times in prison, wondering where his food was going to come from, wondering where, if he could just have something to drink. He said he was cold. Wait a minute, if I have faith, am I supposed to be warm? No, not necessarily. He even said he went without clothing that he needed. And yet God was his provider. How can he be the provider when I'm going without things? That doesn't make sense because God's Word tells us He will provide all of our needs according to His riches in glory. Now see, going back to the way the things are often preached. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so that means I get them all. That's not what it means. That means my Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He has the ability to take care of me. Does not mean I get the cattle. It means that He has the ability to take care of me. When God is the Creator, the Mighty, the Powerful, the, 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 the Everlasting One, He has the means to get us through, and we have to realize He will get us through. That doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be simple and easy and fun. In fact, and I've often said, When somebody surrenders their heart and life to Jesus Christ, they better be ready because things are about to get really complicated. Life was easy before you got saved. It gets difficult after you get saved. When you truly surrender to God, you better believe that the enemy is going to try to get his property back. And things will get difficult. So Paul went through all of this. And I'm sure he said in his mind many times, Here's an idea, God. Since you called me to preach this gospel, how about stop making it so hard? How about making it easy some? You're the one who told me to do this. Shouldn't you make it easier? Yet God is its provider. Children of Israel saw it over and over and over again. They got chased to the, uh, to the shores of, of the Dead Sea after the, they were uh, escaped from Egypt, they got chased. The armies of Egypt bore down on them and, and they were about to be wiped out. And God provided by parting the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. You know what they had to do? They still had to run to the sea. They still had to stand there wondering when they see the, the plume of dust as the armies are coming for them. And then they still had to run across that, that area to the other side. He didn't just wipe the He could have wiped the armies out before they ever got there. Why didn't he do it that way? Because you'll find out that God puts you through those things to build your faith. The children of Israel, if, if the armies of Egypt had been coming their direction and God would have just wiped them out, that would have been the end of it. They would have never had the testimony of watching an ocean part before them and the land dry up in front of them. They would have never been in that situation. They went into the wilderness and they began to thirst almost to death. And they were crying unto God, God, you you delivered us out of here. You took care of the armies of Egypt and now we're dying of thirst. What is wrong? I don't get it. And then God provided as water rushed out. And then they cried and whined, oh God, we're so hungry. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And God gave them manna and gave them quail every time. They had to come to that point, and God showed himself miraculous and powerful by taking him to the brink of, uh, of failure and then showing himself real. And they got to see a miracle. And so for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. They were attacked by enemies. They, were, they had sicknesses. They, they had no idea where they were going to go, but God provided a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of a cloud by day. He provided all that. They had no way to acquire material, so their clothes never wore out. Could you imagine a modern American woman who had to wear the same shoes for 40 years? They would be suicidal. My mother-in-law would die right there. You just told her that story. She's panicking over there, just thinking about that. She has... Shoes for every day that she's ever lived. Let's see, that was July 18th of 1972. I wore those. She still has them, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) She will. She will. (laughs) But God provided their clothing and it never wore out. See, they had to go through these trials to see the miracles come out on the other side. They had to go through those trials in order for God to show Himself as the provider. They lost, they even lost faith. The children of Israel even lost faith. And yet God provided for them over and over again. God is our provider. He is not a recliner. He is not, He's not one to make everything easy. He's not even concerned about making everything easy. In fact, He loves us so much, He makes things difficult for us. We see that today when we have children who have never had chores, never had a hardship. Parents are so worried about them not, you know, not going through the struggles they did. And let's give our kids everything they want so that they're happier. They don't have the, the battles and they have all the things that we didn't have. And those kids grow up and they're worthless. Worthless. They have no work ethic. They have no ability to get anything done. I I'm not talking about you. I know you guys have to work. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> but the children who grow up strong and have a work ethic and know what to do, their parents made them work. They had difficulty. They struggled. They battled. If they wanted a bicycle, they went and worked for a bicycle. If they wanted a game, they had to work for a game. They had to work and and labor and earn what they got. God loves you enough to make you work and labor and strive to get what you get. He loves you that much. Can you pray with me? Father, I thank you for being our provider. I realize, God, that we often don't mentally conceive that, Lord, we sometimes forget that you're the one who provides for us. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are truly our provider. You you put our backs to the wall. You make us think we're going to fail. You require of us things that we don't even think we're capable of giving. You, You challenge us because We need it to make us strong. I thank you, Lord, that you are the provider that gives to us in the midst of all of that, all those battles, all those struggles, all those those turmoils in our lives. You provide our needs. We want so bad for our wants, God, but you provide our needs. I thank you for that. Praise you, Lord. I pray, God, that you will give us the ability, Lord, when you call and say, I want that thing that you're holding up before me, that thing that is more important than I am. I pray, God, that when you call for that thing in our lives, we will be willing to lay it down. Father, I pray for every heart here to be focused primarily on you and that you will be the most important thing in our lives, the most important person, the most important thing that we even look to, Lord. Father, I just I just ask God that you will take us to that point of complete and total surrender to